بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا ونبينا محمد الحمد لله الحمد لله وحده الصلاه والسلام على من لا نبي بعده اما بعد Alhamdulillah, we are here to discuss some points about the Isra and Mi'raj journey of the Prophet The topic is huge. MashaAllah, ulama have written volumes on just this one story. So we will try and discuss one or two points. Inshallah. The whole story of Isra and Mi'raj is about ilm, is about knowledge. All the other miracles, meaning traveling to the heavens and all the way to the Sidratul Muntaha and meeting Allah and riding the buraq those are also more jizat they're miracles but they all fall under the umbrella of the greatest miracle which is ilm that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intended to give his Habib sallallahu the best ilm that he ever gave to any human being. So the journey is about ilm, about learning, about seeing, about hearing, about witnessing. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the Prophet the Quran. All of that is ilm. The best ilm you can find in creation. And then as an added favor Allah wanted to give him special ilm, special knowledge. The takeaway for us, us, the Muslim consumer, is we do salat five times a day on time. That's the takeaway. If you don't do salat five times a day on time after listening to this story, then you better check your Iman. You better check your Islam. You better check your intentions. That's the takeaway. So if nothing else, everybody should make a firm intention, even if they're still doing it, inshallah, for istiqama. Allah give us all istiqama to do salat on time, all the time, until we die, until we die. But the story is a story of ilm, of knowledge. And the background to the story is basically that the Prophet ﷺ lost his uncle. Then he lost uh, his, uh, his wife, Khadija. And then he went to Taif and he was abused in the way he was abused. So when the Prophet ﷺ's emotions were 
totally under his control by even being persecuted and mocked by kids in the streets of Taif and uh, his feet Mubarak and his sandals becoming bloodied with all the stones and rocks that they were thrown at him he did not complain to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which in itself is a huge maqam a huge stage of iman not a phase phase those that come and go fleeting phases a maqam is you stand there so you stand on the highest pinnacle of sabr of patience which by the way only a nabi can do we should try to be patient and we should be patient it's a virtue and there are so many hadith quran ayat that talk about patience but the prophet established a standard of patience that in itself is a miracle which is a mojiza we don't have that kind of patience number one the environment here won't let us unfortunately we are all American Americans are the least patient people in the world and if you don't ask me ask the airlines <laughs> ask the countries they tour they say no Americans they're British so because we live here we are polluted by the environment and it's difficult for us to observe patience so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing the Prophet by taking away his uncle taking away his life Khadija taking away his honor integrity dignity in Taif but he doesn't even think of complaining to Allah the prophets don't complain to Allah they don't complain about Allah why because they establish the standards of human excellence so the prophet is immensely patient so the Isra Miraj story is a reward for the prophet sallallahu patience that you have been so patient and you are remarkable and it is so good that I'm now going to honor you by calling you here to the divine and that's the background so what does this mean it means that the Muslim understanding of knowledge is premised is founded upon the best akhlaq the best moral behavior if you want to carry knowledge then you need good behavior where number one you don't complain about Allah ever and number two you don't shout and scream at people especially if they don't like you right. that's the key to Nabuwa the key to prophethood is that prophets were always tested to show people that they were resilient that they have resolve 
that they can temper themselves. They can control their emotions, control their anger. It is on the back of this that you get knowledge. That knowledge is not cheap. And especially divine knowledge is not cheap at all. So if you want to learn in luxury, think again. Doesn't happen that way. There's no royal road to knowledge in Islam. You have to go through a certain amount of understanding how life works. So the Prophet ﷺ now, he knows how human beings are. That every human being potentially is a believer or a disbeliever. And if they're disbelievers, they will hate you. And they will reject you. And they will mock at you. And they will deride you. And they will expel you from your homeland. Now once you establish this foundation of prophethood, now come and see us. You have the credentials to be invited to the heavens. And to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So although the takeaway is that we do salat on time all the time, the background is that we have to develop our moral character also. That if you have knowledge and if you're in communication with Allah five times a day, which is the miraj of every believer, and the Prophet said, As salat the miraj al mu'min. The salat is the miraj of every believer. When he prays, he's in communication, dialogue with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if you're in dialogue with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will have to show it in life. Not in the books and not in the masjid, but in life. How do you negotiate life? So if you have a problem in life, how do you negotiate it? Do you jump up and down? Do you get excited? Do you get angry? Do you get frustrated? What do you do? There, then... The salat comes in again. Istainu bisabri wa salah. Seek help through patience and through salat. Where salat can help you manage your life, manage your issues, manage your affairs, manage your problems. This is what salat does. And that's the takeaway. So now the Prophet is now at a pinnacle of human excellence that is unparalleled and no one can reach him maybe the foothills of this mountain but never on the mountain then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards him and he doesn't know he's sleeping in the house of his aunt Ummihani radiallahu then all of a sudden the roof is opened up and he sees Jibreel alayhi salam Jibreel comes, takes him to the haram, inside the hatim, lays him down, and he opens his heart. And then he takes his heart, Mubarak, cleans it with the water of Zamzam, purifies it, and then replaces it. The open heart surgery, without anesthesia. Without anesthesia. So this is to make sure that the Prophet is now spiritually ready to receive the knowledge he's about to receive. Meaning, without purifying your heart, you won't get the deeper understanding of Islam. You'll get a superficial understanding, 
that even non-Muslim can have a superficial understanding of Islam, and he may talk about phenomena, he may talk about history, but he won't scratch the surface of pure Iman and pure, pure Islam. It is not possible. Your, your heart has to be pure. As the Quran says, That only those who are purified can touch this Quran, can understand the real meanings of the Quran. So now the Prophet ﷺ's heart, Mubarak, is now being cleansed with the water of Zamzam. And now he is now ready and prepared and able to witness everything that Allah is about to show him. But it requires purification of the heart. It's not that easy. There is some effort that's needed in the quest for knowledge. You have to be ready for life. And you have to be ready to purify yourself and make sure that you want to be close to Allah and close to the angels. And that's how you can see those signs. Not everybody can see those signs. So first of all, Jibreel is there. And some riwayat Mikari is also there. And the Burak comes. The Burak is a heavenly animal that comes down. And the Prophet is now riding this. And since, as you know, all animals, uh, they're not very friendly with people they don't know. So the Burak is now shaking. So Jibreel says, that, don't you know who's on you? No one has ever been, uh, no one this noble has ever been on your back. This is the most noblest person that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created. And the Burak settles down, calms down. It is my honor to carry the Prophet. So from there they start the journey and they go towards Medina, which is at that time, you know, Yathrib. So in Yathrib, Jibreel says to the Prophet وسلم, uh, offer two rakats salat here. The Prophet says, okay, you're the leader and I'll follow. See, offer two rakats salat. What is most important here in the whole story is that throughout the story you're going to be seeing the Prophet offering Salat. At every phase, what's he doing? He's offering Salat. He comes to Yathrib, Medina, he's offering Salat. Jibril Sam takes him forward and says, did you know that place you just prayed? He said, no. He said, that's the place where you will be making Hijrah. So he gets this news that he's going to be leaving Mecca and going to this place. Yathrib, which eventually became Medina, he's going to be making hijrah there. Now, how, 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 do you, how, how do you digest this? I'm going to be leaving my homeland. I'm leaving Makkah. So he doesn't know this, but Jibril is telling him, you're going to be leaving Makkah. Right? So you have to be able to tolerate that news. Not everybody can tolerate news of the future. Huh? People think if they had good dreams, or if they have dreams, they'll do this and that. But you have to be able to tolerate the news. Um, one guy came to a sheikh and said, I want to see what's happening with me in my life. The sheikh dismissed him, as we usually do. We just dismiss people who have these futile ideas, fantastic ideas in their minds. I want to do this. And we say, sit down and be quiet. The sheikh, then he comes again and again and again. Finally, the sheikh said, okay, do this, read this dua. So he came back the next day and said, take this ability of mine away from me. I don't want any more. The sheikh said, why? 
He said, because I saw next year I'm dying. And then I saw that the next year my wife's dying. Then I saw after that my children are dying in three years. So take this away from me. So you have to be able, psychologically and spiritually, to carry the burden of news, information. Not everybody can carry that burden. Because it's a responsibility. So looking into the ghaib, into the unseen and saying, I wish I had this, is not for you. Because you'll die. In the Prophet ﷺ is on the mimbar. And he starts crying. And Imam Hussein radiallahu anhu is there with him. And he's crying. The Sahaba asked him, why are you crying? He said, because I've just seen that my son here, Hussein, will be assassinated. How, how do you tolerate such news? You have a grandson who is very beloved and dear to you, and then Allah tells you he's going to be assassinated. How do you handle that news? Meaning, you need a foundation constitution in you that can withstand the pressure of the news, of the information. It's not for everybody. So wahi is definitely not for anybody. It's only for the prophets because they can withstand the pressure of wahi. Even just the psychological pressure of wahi. So we see that, that Jibreel informs him this is the place of your hijrah. Which means what? You will be ousted from Makkah, your beloved hometown. And don't underestimate the love of the Prophet ﷺ for Makkah. Don't assume, oh, it was like he, Allah now just turned on a switch and it was fine, he made hijrah. No. There's an emotional attachment to your homeland, which everybody should have. Everybody probably does. Now telling the Prophet ﷺ, in this Mubarak night, in this Mubarak journey, that you will be ousted, you will be expelled from your homeland, you will be making hijrah here. So that's in preparation for other news that the Prophet ﷺ will receive on this journey. So it's about news, about ill, it's about knowledge. Then they go forward. And they go to a place, it's like a mountain. They stop there. Jibreel says, come down, offer salat here. So the Prophet does. He offers two salat. Then Jibreel tells him, this is the place where Musa salam spoke to Allah. This is Mount Tur in Sinai. And this is a Mubarak place. And you offer two salat here in this Mubarak place. So again, it's about Salat. He's constantly, continuously preparing the Rasul for Salat physically and psychologically and also spiritually. Then they go further. As they go further, they go into Bethlehem. And Jibreel says, please offer two rakat Salat here, which the Prophet does. And then Jibreel says, this is the birthplace of Isa And this is Mubarak place. So you offer two rakat salat here. So on this journey, all the way from the Haram, now towards Masjid al-Aqsa, the Prophet is engaging in dhikr, in salat, in dua. On the way, he sees other things, which we'll come back to, hopefully, inshallah. And then they go to the Masjid, the Masjid al-Aqsa, Bayt al-Maqlis, 
And Jibreel then ties the buraq, just to show that in this dunya you have to respect the, the order of this dunya. You have to respect the asbab, the means. You have to tie your camel, as the Prophet says. So now Jibreel is doing the same thing, he's tying the buraq. I mean, there's, there's no doubt the buraq is not going anywhere, right? But to show the sunnah of the Anbiya and the Prophets, Jibreel is now showing the Prophet I'm going to tie the buraq so that you observe the rules of cause and effect. You have to observe that rule because you're in this dunya. You can't expect miracles. This is the night of miracles and Jibreel is doing this to show the humbleness of the whole story. And especially of the Prophet They go in there, the Prophet offers two rakat salat and then all the other anbiya, they come, they gather and everybody's waiting for someone to lead them in salat. Jibreel emphasizes to the Prophet you must lead. And he leads all the Prophets in Masjid al-Aqsa. And that's why they all meet and uh, that's where now the Isra part of the story now finishes, which is mentioned in one ayah in the Quran, Subhanallah Asra bi Abdihi, Layla min al Masjid al Haram, il al Masjid al Aqsa, Alladi Barakna Hawlo, Linuriahu min Ayatina, in Nohu Samir Basim. So the journey from one masjid to another masjid, that is Isra. So this whole story seems to be about masjid and salat. One masjid, Masjid al-Haram, the other masjid, Masjid al-Aqsa. And what do you do in the masjid? You do salat. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not taking the Prophet for a tour of the world. He's not a cruise. He's not enjoyment or pleasure. But the miracle is that the Prophet is number one, chosen for this journey. And number two, he does everything that he's told to do. By Jibreel he follows orders. So, in the quest for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's only one vehicle that you can use, and that is Salat. You start in the masjid, on the way to the next masjid, you do Salat, three times, four times, however, and then you end there. That is the Isra part of the journey. The Isra part is the physical journey and has nothing to do with the journey in the heavens. Some points here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this ayah is talking about the idea that a servant of Allah, the Abd, here the Prophet is called Abd. He's not called Nabi or Rasul here. Just to show that it is physical, that the journey is physical. And you're traveling at such a high speed that it is you know, inconceivable for a human being. Okay. So the Burak would have one step here and the other step all the way to the furthest point on the horizon. That was just one step. And that's how fast he was traveling. And then you have to imagine. What do you have to imagine? This Abd, this servant of Allah, has the physical resilience how much of a shape do you have to be in when you're traveling 500 miles an hour 1000 miles an hour 
You have to be in good shape. So the physical strength of the Prophet is being portrayed here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is so powerful and he has no deficiencies, he has no inabilities, he is not, you know, made handicapped, he is not disabled by anything. So through his knowledge and through his fadl, he allows the Prophet as a human being to travel at this speed and nothing's happening to his body. He's perfectly fine. Doesn't need rest, doesn't need water, doesn't need to use the washroom. He is so physically fit that he can withstand this journey. I'm not sure too many of us will be that physically fit. We probably die before we get to the other step of the burak. Just the shock of the whole thing. It'll be a physical shock on our bodies. That shows you the fadl of Allah on the Prophet physical body. That he was the strongest man that we know. And there are so many other stories that will prove this. So we see this. Number one, number two, the word laylan is used. That this journey is at night. Who wants to see the world at night? Especially where there are no lights. There are no lights in those days. Everything's pitch dark. So Allah is saying, I'm taking my servant on this night journey at night. So what's the point of seeing anything at night where you don't see anything? But that's not the point. The point is the Prophet and Jibreel, they do see. Their vision is now enhanced. Jibreel's vision, obviously, by nature. But the Prophet's vision is enhanced. That he can see everything as clear as, as day in the night. You have to ponder on this thing, on this thought, on this point. That Allah is taking him on a journey at night where there's no light and you don't see anything at night. That's why the Arabs in those days, they wouldn't travel at night. They would rest because you don't see anything. But the Prophet saw the caravan and he saw other things. And he saw what Jibreel was doing. He saw the Anbiya in the Masjid. This was now the production of the Prophet spirituality, his Ruhaniyyah. That when you're in sync with the world of angels and your heart is purified, all your faculties develop much more than anyone else's. And if Muslims want to understand and appreciate this, then they should purify themselves and get rid of all the vices and the sins and all the other deficiencies they have in their personalities. This is how you become close to Allah. When you become close to Allah, then Allah shows you what others can't see. Then you have the knowledge of the ghaib, which others don't have, because you're close to Allah. Allah now trusts you that you won't take this knowledge and exploit it. The forms of knowledge in this world today that would have been concealed had it been in the hands of very pious people like nuclear physics. What did it do? It built the atom bomb. It built bombs. This is not useful knowledge. It's destructive knowledge. So when people have ethics and morals and virtue behind them, 
they will make sure no harm comes to any human being through their knowledge. Because you're tamed, you are purified, you are developed, and you know what, what it means to be a human being because you've gone through the struggle of being human. But when money is the goal, and the only goal, then you will gain knowledge, but you will exploit it. And you will manipulate it. And then you will destroy human beings and human civilizations. In the name of power, in the name of glory, and most, probably, most I think, aptly in the name of money. So the Prophet ﷺ, when he's receiving this knowledge, First of all, he has no ambition to be a king, no ambition to be a ruler. He has no ambition of exploiting people through his knowledge. None whatsoever. So Allah gives him, because Allah trusts him. He is Al-Amin. He is the most trustworthy. So at this point, we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is giving the Prophet sallallahu knowledge and he's in, enhancing the tools by which he receives knowledge. So enhancing his eyesight, he's in, enhancing his hearing, he's in, enhancing his, his uh, what do you call a sense of touch, sense of perception, his intuition, he's in, enhancing all his faculties that allow him to gain knowledge. And this story is all about knowledge. That's number one. About the small portion of the night. And secondly, obviously, because the other part of the story is not at night, it's above the heavens, where there's no night, because there's no time there, as far as we know. So that part of the story is mentioned somewhere else, where Allah describes the heavens. And that is in Surah Najm, where Allah starts with one Najm, by the star, because the star is celestial. And then you can talk about the celestial travel of the Prophet ﷺ because you've opened the surah with the word the star, by the falling star. But here, since this ayah only talks about the Isra part of the journey, the word Laylan now becomes necessary. That this is at night where there is time. Time is on earth. When you go above earth, then that time becomes very, very relative and is not significant for any earthly discussion. And then thirdly, at the end of the uh, ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, So that we can show him some of our signs. So the purpose of the Isra journey is for the Prophet ﷺ to see, to witness, to observe and understand the signs of Allah subhanahu wa creation. But where? On earth. Not in the heavens. So there are several signs that the Prophet saw on earth in the Isra part of the journey. Most people just say that he saw everything in the heavens. But before you get to the heavens, you have to travel here on earth. So Masjid, the Masjid Haram is a sign built by Ibrahim and the Kaaba is built by Ibrahim and the, the, the Kaaba and the Haram is sanctified. That's a big sign. Jibreel now opening his heart and cleansing his heart. That's a big sign. The Burakh Another sign, the ability of the Burak to travel as a you know, colossal velocity is another sign. Being informed about his hijrah is another sign. Being informed that this is now, now Mount Sinai. 
and it's tur. That's another sign. Being informed that this is the place, the birthplace of uh, Isa al-Islam. That's another sign. Going to the Masjid Al-Aqsa. That's another sign. Meeting all the Anbiya. Another sign. Leading the Anbiya. Another sign. So you have to enumerate these terrestrial signs. Okay. Signs that the Prophet saw on earth before he went to the heavens. So when you understand the ayah, this is how you understand it, that it is a comprehensive information package for the Prophet so that now he's been prepared, he's been prepared to witness other signs. So seeing these earthly signs prepared the psyche and the ruh of the Prophet to see greater signs than these. Right? In the in the Miraj part of the journey, this ayah in Surah Najm, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he saw the greatest signs of his Lord. And then he saw the earthly signs. So the earthly signs is basically a staircase for seeing the heavenly signs. And the word staircase is the meaning of Miraj. What is Miraj? Miraj means a staircase. That you have steps going upwards. So now the Murakh is not there. The Prophet is now moving upwards into the heavens on this staircase, on this miraj. It's almost like a ladder. And you can see, subhanAllah, with what kind of physical strength do you do this? If you go in a plane and you're 10,000 feet up, then if you don't have the cabin pressure, you start shaking. And if you're 30,000 feet up and you don't have cabin pressure where it's regulated, you'll just now burst, basically. You'll be all over the place. If you traverse the heavens and you go outside the atmosphere, then what do you have? Then you need space suits, right? What do astronauts, what, what do they wear and how, how do they control the pressure in the spaceship, in the rocket? But this is now the physical body with no equipment, no apparatus, and the Prophet is now going upwards on this staircase, which is a huge sign. This is another miracle. Within all the other miracles, and that's why the ulama emphasize that this journey is a miracle only if it is physical. If you say it's a dream or a vision, then it's not a miracle because dreams come to everybody. And then the Quraysh would not have rejected the idea that you went from here to there in one night and came back in the morning. So when you understand what the ulama are saying, these ulama, they said this a millennium before the spaceship. But they emphasize, no, it is a physical miraj. It's a physical journey. He went with his body, Mubarak. He didn't go with his ruh. It was not a dream. It was not a vision. It was a physical experience. You know, he, he's going upwards. Yeah. Sustaining all the other pressures that you probably would have when you're going up there. As he's going up there, Jibreel is there with him. And he's accompanying him and he's going through all the motions of the seven heavens. In each heaven, they knock on the door, they ask for permission, there's a security check. Yeah. But they're not like the immigration officers, nasty. They're very kind and polite to the angels. 
Angels are kind. The Quran calls them kiram. How does the Quran describe angels? Kiram. Right? Kiram in barara. Kiram in katibim. Innahu laqad rasulin kareem. Allah says about Jibreel, they're all kareem. Why? Because they don't have a nafs. Angels don't have a nafs. So they have no vested interest in you or anything you do. They don't want anything from you. That's, they don't want to hamper you. They don't want to antagonize you. They don't want to deport you. They're kind beings. The kindness comes from their spiritual existence because they're made of nur. And the more kind you are, the more nur you get. You have to become subtle and latif in your personality that people want to talk to you, not run away from you. That is a blessing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now escorting, Jibreel is escorting the Prophet again to show the system, the order, the protocol. The angel who's asking Jibreel, who is this, knows who he is. Knows Jibreel has an order to take him there. But you have to go through a security protocol. That's why you have adab in learning. So you must learn from these stories the adab of learning. What is the adab here? What's the protocol? Okay. What's the respect you show? So the angel on the other side is inferior to Jibreel on this side. But Jibreel is offering him his respect by saying, you're in control here. I need permission from you. So you don't jump over people when people are higher than you in society. You can't do that because the Prophet also said, أَنزِلُ nas manazilahum." Treat people according to their ranking in life. So if somebody's behind the counter and needs something from that person, you don't threaten that person, you don't intimidate that person. You have to be kind and polite. That's just being civil. But likewise in knowledge, if you're learning from someone, that someone in your mind might just be off. Or yeah, slightly not good enough for you. Even there, you have to practice this adab. I have to give this person the manzil, okay. the favor that Allah has given him. So I have to be polite with that person. I have to respect the person. I have to acknowledge his wilaya authority over me, even though I don't want to. That's the adab that you, you get, you, you gain from you know, these stories. These stories are pure and they're divine. Anyway, so he goes through every heaven this way, every sama this way. So in the first heaven there's Adam alayhi salam, in the second heaven there's Isa and Yahya alayhi salam, in the third heaven there's Yusuf alayhi salam, right? And in the fourth heaven there is, what do you call it, Idris alayhi salam. In the fifth heaven there's Harun, and in the sixth heaven there's Musa, and the final heaven, the seventh heaven, leaning against the Bayt al-Ma'mur is Ibrahim alayhi salam. So he's there standing, or leaning against the Bayt al-Ma'mur, which is uh, directly above the Kaaba. The nur from Bayt al-Ma'mur comes down onto the Kaaba. So Ibrahim is right up there because he's the, he's the one who rebuilt the Kaaba. So that's his maqam, that's his station Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him in the heavens. And they meet all of these prophets and they go further and further. It's a very, very long story. What I want to impress here is that the Prophet is now being taught knowledge through these events and sequences of events. And he's gaining so much knowledge through the whole process. Allah says about Jibreel that the one who is mighty and powerful, very strong, 
being. Angels are strong. Angels are intelligent and they are strong and they are noble. These are the qualities of the angels. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that this is where Jibreel exposes himself with 600 rings which he saw early on after the Hira incident. He saw him once there and this is the second time he saw Jibreel in the heavens where he saw him with all 600 rings in one sight, in one observation and one wing spans the whole horizon, the Prophet has 600 rings, how can you see that? And then Allah says, لَقَدْ مِنْ آيَاتِ رَبِّهِ الْكُبْرَى That indeed the Prophet saw the greatest signs from his Lord. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making tarbiyah of the Prophet He's developing the ability of the Prophet to receive knowledge and then take it back to his people and then also spread the knowledge, disseminate the knowledge, share the knowledge, which is another burden. So in the story of Isra and Miraj, what we must appreciate is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is honoring the Prophet after he established that he has the best moral character that is to be gained and acquired as a human being. And now he is being given the best knowledge that any human being can receive. So the knowledge is now relative to the character, to the akhlaq of the Prophet The better akhlaq you have, the better your ability to learn. You can't learn if you're a scumbag. If you're rotten to the core, right? You can't learn if you're a cheat, if you're a liar, if you deceive. And that's why the Muhaddithun never accepted a narration of anybody who lied. If they found out that this one who is narrating hadith lied once, that's it, finish. We're not accepting you. You need character, you need integrity, you need honesty, you need fortitude and patience and all of that so that you, your, your word is truthful. Not that your word is deceptive and conniving and exploitative and manipulating. So here the Prophet وسلم, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows him these signs. As Allah says in the first ayah, that indeed he is the one who now the hearing one and he is the one who is the seeing one. So Allah is sharing his hearing and sharing his seeing with the Prophet to the degree and the level where the Prophet goes further. After the Sidratul Muntaha, before the Sidratul Muntaha, he sees now some amazing spectacular colors, which the Prophet said, I don't know what those colors are. I haven't seen them anywhere in the dunya. But he sees this amazing spectacle, and then he goes further from this lot tree, further, and then he says, I hear, I hear the pens writing. Tasrif al-Akhlaq. So it's about seeing and it's about hearing. So how subtle is the hearing of the Prophet ﷺ that above the heavens he's now hearing the writing of the pens. That the pens are writing what Allah subhanahu wants to reveal and wants to create. So he's hearing that. How do you hear that? Very, very subtle. Very subtle. But Allah gives him the ability to hear that also. So that is a comprehensive tour of 
what we know as the world, the universe, comprehensive. Allah gives him that knowledge so that he becomes Rahmatul Alameen. He becomes a Rahmah for all the worlds and then he becomes Mu'allim, the teacher of everybody on the planet. This is what you need to know. This is the truth and this is speculation. So what the Prophet says is the truth. It is the Haqq. That is our Aqeedah. It is true knowledge. It is not speculative knowledge. So here, now the test for Muslims who are scientists, Muslims who are philosophers, Muslims who are you know, physicists, biologists, chemists, whatever. In the sciences where, where you use empirical standards of ascertaining your knowledge. That is about test, trial, you test, you collect data, you observe the data, and you calculate, and you have a hypothesis, and then eventually you prove. Now, if the theory doesn't work, you say, this is rubbish. If the theory does work, you say, this is a theory. But it's not a proven fact. So the Prophet ﷺ, for us here in the USA, that where we, we, we kind of hover around the giants who control science, and who teach science, and who, who, who are basically, basically the people who own knowledge in universities or wherever. Which is okay, we don't mind that. What we do mind is that them telling us that this is the ultimate truth. We say we already have the ultimate truth. We don't need a Western scientist to tell us what is there in the universe and what is not. We already know what's there, there's already life there. Are you kidding me that there's a kind of billions and billions of uh, space, miles of space in that whole wide universe, there's no life? And what kind of moronic thinking is this? That you're so arrogant that you're the only species in the universe that has life? Right? That's perverted. I mean, when, we, when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling us, that we have created everything living from water. It's no surprise or shock to us that you'll find water on Mars. We already know that. We don't need scientists to tell us that. So when you're sending your children to school, college, university, then you have to be careful that you don't override the Isran Mirat story of the Prophet because that was a physical observation of phenomenon in the universe. A physical observation. And that is concrete. That is what we call Qat'i is Haq. As the ulama of Kalam and Nukhida say, Al-Miraj Haqqun. The Imam Tahawi Rahimullah says that. In his Tahawiyyah, Al-Miraj Haqqun. Miraj is the truth, an absolute truth where you cannot place any speculative knowledge against it. And that's why the Qur'an uses the word Subhana in the beginning of the ayah, Subhana. That Allah is capable of showing His servant, His Nabi, anything He wants to. And what He shows him is the truth. It is factual. It is not a hypothesis. It is not a theory. It is what Allah shows him as the creator of those signs. Allah creates those signs. Allah is showing the Prophet ﷺ the signs that he created. So that knowledge is concrete, it is absolute, it is your aqidah. So now, 
the limitations of science should be appreciated. When you understand these ayat, when you understand these ayat, you must understand the limitation. I'm not saying don't study science. I'm not saying that don't become a professor, don't become a scientist. I'm not saying that. We don't say that at all at Darqasim, as you know. What we are saying is that maintain your aqidah based on concrete knowledge. Don't adulterate your knowledge with speculative knowledge, knowledge that is based on speculation and theories. So theory today might be, it may change tomorrow, it may change next year. It, may, it might change a century later. That is how science evolves. Science is not an exact science. There's so many things they don't know in science, and they will admit it also. But the paradigm, the method by which you ascertain the truth, has to be truthful in of itself. And that is wahi. That is what the Prophet saw, that's what he heard. And then he came back and he told the Quraysh. And look at, look at the resilience and the resolve of the Prophet Just amazing resilience. He's just been ousted from Taif. And the Quraysh know that. They know that, you know, other people might call him a failure. But he comes now. He comes into the masjid after Fajr. And he sees people. And he goes and he does what? Tabliyah. He's conveying the message. He's not looking at the PR. Oh, if I say this now, I already failed in Taif. If I say this now, they'll just reject me. So he's not looking at the consequences. <laughs> this is the abdiya. This is the Prophet being a servant of Allah. Allah wants me to convey this. I'm going to convey it whether they reject or whether they accept. The Prophet has only one strategy. What's that? To convey the message. He's not a politician. He's not conniving. He's not manipulating. He said, this is the truth. I went last night from the haram to Aqsa. And obviously they start laughing, jeering, deriding. But what's amazing is that the Prophet knows that this is the reaction he's going to get. He knows that. But despite that, he just steps into the fire. And then they go to Abu Bakr. After you know, two, three hours of you know, pure laughter and joy, they go to Abu Bakr. And they tell him that, you know, that, that this man of yours, uh, this companion of yours over there, that he, he says he went last night and he went from the haram to Masjid Aqsa. What do you say? So Abu Bakr says, if he says so, then I believe it. Establishing the methodology of ascertaining the truth. That's the methodology. What's the methodology? Abu Bakr knows the Prophet speaks from wahi. He doesn't speak and shoot from his hips. He does not speculate. He doesn't guess. He doesn't estimate. He does not theorize. He doesn't philosophize. He speaks wahi. Which is mentioned in the surah, Surah Najm. He doesn't speak from his own mind, his own desire, his own whim, his own fancy, his own passion. Whatever he speaks, it is from wahi. So Abu Bakr knows this. So Abu Bakr then confirms the truthfulness of the Prophet and in that way he's a Siddiq. He's confirming the truth. What does Siddiq do? Siddiq confirms the truth. So we as Muslims today, 
despite having all the facilities and the availabilities of science and technology, we must appreciate the Isran Miraj story to be the greatest event in human history. The greatest event in human history is the Isran Miraj story. And you believe it because you love him, And you believe it because you love Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you believe it because you're a Muslim. This is proof of Allah's fadl on the ummah, that they believe the truth. And every time you attend such talks, you are confirming the truth the way Abu Bakr confirmed the truth. You're part of this tradition of confirming the truth, which is what the Qur'an is. Every Nabi came to confirm the Nabi before him. The Qur'an came to confirm all the books before the Qur'an. Sitasdiq, Musaddiq. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the Prophet as a Musaddiq that he's confirming the truthfulness of all previous revelations. That they were truthful as, as long as they were corrupted. And likewise, this ummah will confirm the truth of every other ummah. And more than that, it will confirm the truthfulness of the Prophet So when he comes down, this happens, and then he gains momentum, and he plans now to make hijrah. When he makes hijrah, Many stories will confirm what I've just said, that his faculties were enhanced. He's passing by two graves, and he tells the Sahaba, plant some, you know, shrub here. Plant something here, so that the tasbih of the plant will minimize the adab in the qabr, the punishment in the qabr. So he's hearing that. You understand He's hearing the people being punished with his own physical ears. So his senses were heightened after Isra and Mi'raj. That he heard this. He said in a hadith, sometimes to the Sahaba, that I see behind my ears and I see you behind me as if you were in front of me. That in Salat, the Prophet Sallallahu point of observation was so high and heightened that he, he, he could see the Sahaba as if they were in front of him. And he said this. Now who can say this? Only the one whose senses have been heightened because he carried over the tools of knowing from Isra and Mi'raj. And that is a gift Allah subhanahu gave to the Prophet So he gave them his, this, this unique gift of seeing and hearing, smelling. Hmm. He would say, I don't eat onion or garlic because when I have to talk to the ones I have to talk to, they run away from the smell. It's not haram. Don't get me wrong. It's not haram. But it would be nice that if, if you came from home, some perfume would be in order. So that must be smells nice. Hmm? Especially in Ramadan. You know, mashallah, after all the samosa and kebab, Ah, you're bringing all that lovely kitchen smell into the masjid. Well, what do you think the angels do? I don't think they feel appetized. They scamper, they run away. So if you come to the masjid from your home, make sure you have a lot of good smell on you so that the angels can pray with you, inshallah. But his sense of smell was so sensitive, super sensitive, his sense of touch, super sensitive. 
So this is the Prophet ﷺ. So he inherited the ability to know and to learn from the story of Isra and Mi'raj. And he continued. And he continues now in his grave work and so on. So what we see here is that the story of Isra and Mi'raj, I've left out so many details because we simply don't have the time. But the point is this is a story of knowledge. The Isra and Mi'raj story is a story of knowledge. And that is for the Ummah to follow that the Prophet ﷺ wanted this Ummah to excel in knowledge along with the regular activities of a Muslim. The regular activities, Salat, Salam, Zakat, Hajj, Khairat, Sadaqah, being kind of that, that's a no-brainer. That's nothing to write home about. Is what you have to do anyway. If somebody says, MashaAllah, I'm reading Salat five times a day, what the heck is that? <laughs> It's like saying, I don't eat pork. <laughs> you know that? I mean, the standard has to be higher than what we are experiencing today. We must raise our standard of Islamic being so that we don't fall into this trap of doing the bare minimum. And then people say, we don't have to read Sunnah. Why not? The Prophet has read Sunnah. Why can't you follow him? Oh, it's not necessary. Who's talking about necessary? I'm talking about nothing, bonus, that you get more reward. Don't you want more reward from Allah? Sure you do. But you're just lazy. And you make lazy, stupid excuses. It's not fard. Right? Having a luxurious car is not fard. You can just have a 1919 Toyota to run fine. Why are you settling for the luxurious car? You don't do that in life. Why are you doing it with Islam? So what, what the Prophet ﷺ wanted this ummah to excel in knowledge and whatever they did, they did with knowledge, with basira, with insight, with foresight. That is the takeaway for the community. The takeaway for us as individuals, we do salat five times a day on time. But the takeaway for the community is that the community must establish institutions of knowledge and ulama in such a way that it gets rid of all the speculation that people are thrown out there at us all the time 24-7 we're bombarded with speculation and falsehood it has become so commonplace that the Muslim youth of today in high school and in colleges believe that the LGBTQ is actually a genuine thing that's how much falsehood there is in the Ummah and nobody cares oh, Salat, Salam, Salat, so knowledge is the key to our success in this world and definitely in the other world. And that knowledge has to be based on concrete facts, not speculation and not fantasies. So the knowledge that we have from the Prophet ﷺ through the Isra and Mi'raj is going to give us this stability and give us this resolve and resilience that we can actually accommodate ourselves as Muslims in this country without the fear of becoming murtad, uh, apostates. And when you teach your children concrete knowledge, they won't let go of it. They will handle it. Because they are, their knowledge is firmly rooted in their hearts, in their minds, in their conscious, in their subconscious, that they'll say, this is the truth. And against the truth, there is no dalal. As the Quran says, فَمَاذَا بَعْدُ الْحَقِّ إِلَّا الْضُلَالِ Now after the haqq, there's nothing except error. Nothing except being mistaken. And so on. So this idea that the Prophet ﷺ's Isra and Mi'raj journey 
that is a good journey, it is physical, but we must, in historical terms, believe that this is the greatest event in human history. That's our aqidah. It is only on this aqidah that you can speak of Isra al-Miraj. You can't be willy-nilly, you can't be shaky, you can't be as, oh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It doesn't make sense for us. Because it does make sense. Then how did the Prophet see Jannah and Jahannam? How did he describe what's going to happen to people on the Day of Judgment? Because this is all knowledge of the ghayb, and knowledge of the ghayb came to the Prophet through so many different faculties. And this is the story that I think we should, uh, inshallah, celebrate, understand, teach our children, speak about it. Yeah. We speak about theories all the time. There's a new scientific theory that comes on the news, we're speaking about it for days, for weeks, until the next theory comes out. Then we speak about that one. We speak about that one too. And we forget the first one, which was rendered false. But we still speak about it. So we should speak about Isra al-Mi'raj openly, with conviction that the Prophet went on this journey and he brought back so much knowledge, oceans and oceans of knowledge, which we are now inheriting through the Quran and Sunnah. So this is the way forward for Muslims when they apply the Quran and Sunnah to their immediate lives, to their surroundings, to their context, to their society, to their civilization. Once we have that, then there's nothing like it, Master. So we are on top of the world because we had conviction. We had knowledge that is based on truth, and we didn't go after knowledge that's based on falsehood or, or even speculation. Anyway, Jazakumullah um, Khair. Thank you very much for attending, for listening, for being patient with me. <laughs> All right, we make God Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase our knowledge. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to benefit from the Isra and Mi'raj stories. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to do our salat on time, all the time, until we die. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to benefit from the knowledge that the Prophet sallallahu left us. Ameen ya rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu ta'ala khayr khilqi. Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahabihi wa rahmatika 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 wa